Hey there, it's Will Gadara, and thank you so much again for tuning in. A reminder, this month, we're talking about grit. And, well, it reminded me of my friend, Gabe Stuhlman. See, back in the day at 11 Madison Park, we had a picture of Miles Davis in the kitchen. Alongside of that was a list of words. See, Miles Davis was our inspiration. And very, very early on in my time there, we spent a ton of time looking everything up we could about him, reading everything we could about him, listening to all his music. And we came up with a list of 11 words that we found most commonly used to describe him. Not his music, but the approach he took to making it. On that list were words like endless reinvention, forward moving, fresh, light, innovative. And those words became kind of our mission statement. Gabe has always been a good friend and he was inspired by that and did something similar at one of his restaurants, except instead of Miles Davis, it was Muhammad Ali. He was always inspired by boxing generally. He is a boxer, but he was especially inspired by the, the fortitude, the persistence, the strength, the grit that it took to become the greatest boxer in the world. And so today I want to share a quote from Muhammad Ali for you. Here we go. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration, it's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. I love that quote for a couple reasons. First of all, there's a lot that feels impossible right now. And hearing that is a good reminder that, well, it's only impossible if we decide it's impossible. But we have an opportunity right now to stop playing defense and to start playing offense. I also love that quote, well, because it reminds me of the person I'm interviewing today. Someone who has not let the world happen to him, but who has decided that he has chosen instead to happen to the world. That part of the quote. It's just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. We all have that power, but the person I'm talking to today definitely has it, and he is not afraid to use it. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome back to Weekly Specials. It's the Weekly Specials. You do, 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 do. Weekly Specials. I am super excited to have my next guest in the show. JJ Johnson is an award-winning chef, the owner of Field Trip, a quick casual rice bowl shop in Harlem. But JJ is much more than that. He's a cookbook writer. He is a voice of change in our industry. And since the pandemic hit, he's been nonstop. He's been feeding frontline workers since March, his community, and so, so much more. I've also had a chance to get to know JJ, like a bunch of people through this pandemic developing friendships that I probably otherwise wouldn't have been able to develop. JJ, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to Weekly Specials. It's good to see you. You have a suntan. <laughs> I do have a suntan. <laughs> if it's September and you don't have a suntan, you're doing something wrong, I think. So we're talking about grit. Maybe just check in though. Where are you at right now? Kind of just tell me 
what have the last couple of weeks been like for you? What have you been up to? How are you preparing for the fall? All this. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been good at field trip. We've definitely seen some people back and feeling back, people coming back into New York City. Kid, people are, kids are back at school. So our lunch crowds have been increasing a little bit. People coming in the weekend with their kids. We just did a collaboration with Mikey Likes Ice Cream, which was really cool over this past weekend. With Mike, he's a Harlem native and has an ice cream shop downtown now. So showing him a little support. But it's been good. And now I'm just thinking about the, the future as Inside Dining is coming back. I mean, I said potentially it is yeah. coming back. And then some other ways of how to grow Field Trip is in the horizon as we, as we look at the future being in a good space for the company. But inside dining, so they announced it was 25% on September 30th. And I was surprised by the different reactions. Like, obviously, 25% is not enough. But a lot of people were like, no, we're not going to, we're still not going to open. Or how did you feel when that was announced? Like, what was your perspective? I thought it was great. I think, you know, New York is the safest place right now. So let's not just run. Let's take it the steps of the time, just how we've been working through the pandemic. If we do the work ahead of time, right? Then it pays off. And we've seen other places just like jump into it and then it's disastrous. And then it's going to be harder to come back from that. So 25% is good for us. We're not going to open up inside dining since 50%. But when that day comes, it means that we can now prepare to get ready for inside dining. That's what it allows me to do. And I think a lot of other people to do, I ran into, what's his name, Max over at, uh, Daily Provisions, and he was saying that they're not bringing back inside dining either, and they're just small like we are, but they're going to bring it back at the 50% mark just like we will. So it gives you a starting ground, and it allows you to be ready for the future. And then some other people just have amazing outside dining setups. Why would you want to take that down? I'm not mad at you. You spent a lot of money putting that up, and I think those outside pavilions will run for as long as a New York city mayor allows him to be there. And I think he should let it run all the way to the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's interesting. And I don't think this is limited to just restaurants, but I feel like since this whole thing started, there have been two types of people, the people that feel helpless and don't know what to do and, and therefore just stop doing anything. And then there are there people that are just doing whatever they can to keep moving forward. And, I feel like you certainly fall into the the latter camp. And I, and I think that has a lot to do with grit. So yeah, inside dining is coming back and people have the patios and people are starting, you know, the city's filling up again and people are starting to run their restaurants again, but you didn't stop. So let's start there. Can you just tell me what have you been doing at Field Trip since day one and tell me about the experience? So yeah, day one, I mean, I can go way back. I remember day one of construction, you you know, I thought we can get the restaurant open quicker than we could. We ran into some hiccups. I think if you open a restaurant in New York City, you know about this. It's either building codes or gas lines or something, right? The ceiling falls in on you. Ours was gas. The building told us they had one type amount of gas. We ba- we went based off their engineers. When kind of came, we didn't have the, that gas. And we had to switch out a piece of kitchen equipment that went into our, our opening operating costs. So that was like the first hiccup of the place. And then that delayed us for five months. So think okay. about getting ready to open a restaurant and then you're delayed for five months because you're banging back on Conrad's door. But now there's gas leaks in Harlem. So there's these new things put in tests, pressure tests, all these areas that we had to comply with. 
So I would say that was the first sense of like grit, like pushing through, thinking you have enough money in the bank and you're ready to go to the world with what you developed that you believe is the best thing. And we just weren't ready. So that was a, a way of like, how do we push through? And, and then we opened the restaurant. We were doing okay. I think just like any other restaurant, you open up, you get a, lo- a large amount of people coming in in the beginning and then it trickles away. And then you find out who you are. And every month at field trip, I would find out something new about the brand or the customer was telling us about who we were. And then the pandemic came. We were about five, six months, year old restaurant, trying to figure out how to survive. And it was the first time in my career where I didn't have to go to the table to come up with the idea, right? It was a very different moment for me. So I didn't have to come to get signed off. I I bring the idea and the committee says, okay, this is great, JJ. Let's kind of move forward. This was, okay, guys, this is the idea. And do you believe in me to make sure we can do this? Wait, what do you mean the committee? Tell me what what you... You know, like when I was at the Cecil, I was a chef de cuisine. I would have to go to ownership, right? Or director of ops and say, I think we should change our menu. I think we should do, figure out how to do outside dining. We should run these specials, you know, we should cut back on labor, whatever it is. Somebody had to sign off on it, right? right? So you're talking about now, like you're the, you're the owner, you're the person in charge. And yeah, now it's like, it all comes to me. If we fail, it's on me. If we're successful, it's on me. And I was able to lead my team with successful ideas through the pandemic, you know, and it just started with, I think for me, the sense of hope, like being able to employ some people, being able to turn the lights on and people walking by and seeing a small business open in their community people seeing the owner cleaning the windows or spraying the outside sidewalk or locking the doors at night or opening the doors in the morning. People were seeing that and that gave them the sense of hope, but also gave me the sense of like drive to keep going. I would say to myself, if it's just me here all day, I can just feed who I can feed, prep what I can prep, cook what I can cook. And that's what it's going to be. And that's the money that's going to come in because I have to have a place for my family you know, I have to have this legacy for my kids as a first business owner in my family. I can't let this slip. There's so many people that believe in me. And I mean, the sense of believing was, you know, not letting down my wife, my mom, my dad, the people that have been this backbone or, be- or believed in all those long days, uh, late nights, crazy weekends, no holidays to get to this point. Now it's like, well, this pandemic just stopped you in your tracks. No, I had to figure out how to like move that away and push through and just be creative and do what I felt was the right thing and knock on wood. It has worked really for myself. I think people have got to know me a lot better. And also for the field trip brand, I think before field trip was a fast casual, just like any other fast casual, what made it cool was it was in Harlem. I'm like, go see this place. It wasn't that we were using cool rice grains or we employed from the community or nobody else was doing this concept. It was kind of like, okay, another fast casual. But the pandemic really put a microscope over us as we were making change and just showing, I think, showing a lot, showing the world what what it means for a restaurant and community and what it does you know, keeps the streets safe. It allows people to just to be happy. Yes. 
right, there's a few things. I'm just taking notes here because a few things that you said that I want to just dig into a little bit. A lot of people spend their careers looking forward to the moment when they're the person in charge to the point where they don't need to go and get people's approval to like push forward with whatever their vision happens to be. You finally got yours and then the world falls apart. That's <laughs> the first time that you're like in a position where you can do whatever you want. It's literally like life or death for the business. How confident were you and how convicted were you when you had the ideas of how you wanted to navigate through the pandemic and how, or how scared were you to not have someone else to sign off on it? Like as a security blanket of sorts. Can you talk about that? I think I was, I was confident in the area of like health, right? Cause I had my wife as a nurse and in working in the pandemic and really just following her lead. You know, if she said, you know, wear a mask, wear a mask. If she said, wear gloves, wear gloves. If she said, do this, I, we did this. And then I put that onto my staff. So I had that backbone on the health sector, which I felt confidence in probably more than any other way. But like who would come in to eat? Would we be able to pay our bills? Would we be able to pay our vendors? Would it be open the next day? I just, re- I'd be yeah, very honest. I really left it in God's hands and had faith, right? And I just kept myself, I kept believing we can do it like the mighty ducks kind of situation. Yeah. We can do this. We can do this. We will prevail. And I would say at one point when we started to hit a little bit of like a stride, I remember having this conversation with Richard Parsons, who was, you know, ex-CEO of Time Order and Citibank, was the owner of the Cecil. He used to say to me when I was at the Cecil, you know, you need to stay in the kitchen. People need to see you in the kitchen more. You're out too much. You're doing too much of the song and dance. And I'm like, well, it's, I'm very fortunate to be at food and wine festivals or doing this or doing that. He's like, no, I need you in the kitchen. That's what made me successful in my career. All these CEOs were talking at conferences. People knew I was at the bank. People knew I was working at Time Warner. The conferences will always be there. And at this moment of this five months, the world, the community saw me working in there. And I think I, I gave them faith to come dine with us because it was like, well, if JJ's here, then maybe I need to be there too. I need to order a salmon bowl with black rice or crispy chicken or crab pockets. Oh, you don't, you don't have any crab pockets. You're going to hand make them for me. It's going to take 10 minutes. Oh, I'll wait for it. The owner's doing it, you know? And that really changed the narrative of the, of, of the brand, of the hard work. I think of just, of just who we were. People saw me believe. And I think that just trickled down into everybody else believing in field trip. I don't know if I had confidence, but I had, I had belief and I, I, you know, like that mighty duck, I could see myself in the mighty duck uniform or I was like Rocky going up the steps or, you know, Muhammad Ali in the eighth, you know, like those are the things going through my mind of making it through this moment and not knowing when it was going to come to an end or it might not even come to an end reading things. Right. So we, how do you keep pushing? Yes. No, because I think maybe confidence isn't the right word. Conviction though certainly is like, it used to be that there was a playbook and what defined the mark that people in our industry made on it was which of those rules you decided to break in this, there has been no playbook. And so people need to just listen to their gut and go. And 
the reality is, is that certain people have been so scared of making the wrong decision that they haven't made any decision at all. And it's been paralysis through analysis. And so what you're saying is like, hey, you know what? I don't know if I was making the right decision, but I just wanted to stay in the game. What, what else could you do, right? Like you don't, like who, we never dealt with a pandemic before. We never knew, we never dealt with any of this, right? Shutdowns, mandates, you know, so what could you do? Okay, these are my rules. I'm going to follow them. I don't want to get fined. I don't want to get shut down. I, I want to be on the other side. And if it works for me, it works. If it doesn't, it's just not meant to be. And I know that I put in, all my blood, sweat, tears, everything, everything I had, I put in it every day at field trip. I remember nights where the mayor would say, you know, we're shutting down. I forgot what he said. We were shutting down like, no, restaurants will, restaurants could do delivery only. Remember there was only delivery only. Yes. And everybody in the community just rushed a field trip one night and we were closed at eight o'clock. Because the curfew was in. And from 7 to 8, we did like over 150 bowls, right, at once. Like everybody just walked in. It was like a line around the corner. People are outside. And I know it doesn't sound like a lot, like 150 bowls, but when it's just you and one other person, and you're like, okay, we've probably been doing like a couple (laughs) here and there, and now all these people rush in, and they're just ordering everything. At one point, I just like took all the beer and wine out the fridge, and I said, hey, I'm sorry for the wait. Here's a beer for you. Here's a wine. Here's wine for you. I, I know you can't be at the bar, so this is your chance to like chill outside and talk. Please don't get a shot. Don't leave. Out. Don't leave. And just don't leave because your food's coming. And people just stood with us and they were like, "Don't worry, JJ. It's all good. We just want to make sure you'll be here tomorrow." And um, I've always channeled that grit of like watching like Jay Z or or Diddy or Drake, how they have this community behind them. And the community has taken them to the world. And I feel like that's what's happening with Field Trip right now. Well, I mean, I love figuring out different ways to define words. And if I'm looking this through your metaphor, grit is just staying in the ring. Like with the boxing metaphor, it's just stay in the ring. And maybe you're going to get knocked out. (laughs) But that's better than getting out. Yeah, Yeah. it's better than like throwing the white flag, right? You know, at least you bobbed and weaved a couple times. You yeah. might have got hit hard, but you figuring out a way to stand back up or take that punch. Uh, for me, that that's what grit is. And, and that's just what, I mean, that's what I've been taught. Like life is going to hit you hard a couple times and you got to figure out how to keep going. But then I think also the other thing you said, okay, so it's easy to say, hey, stay in the ring. But sometimes staying in the ring sucks. <laughs> and And you need to figure out, like everyone as individuals needs to figure out what is the thing is encouraging them or inspiring them to stay in. And what I heard you say was, hey, I don't want to let my family down. I don't want to let my mom down. I don't want to let my wife down. Like, I have a legacy. And so is do you think that that is, like, when staying in the ring is not easy, you're working a ton of hours, it's exhausting, it's stressful, but you'd figured out that that was something to tap into? Is that right for me to say? Yeah, I mean, during that during that hard time, right? That grit, what's going to what's going to push you through? You have to find that. You have to find something that's going to motivate you, bring a smile to your face, push you through. I mean, my mom probably texts me or called me every day and be like, "How did it go? Were you all right? Did you have a mask on? Did you do this? Right?" Yes. And then did the same thing with my wife. How was your day? Did you was it all right for you at at the hospital? Are people okay? Are your nurses all right? I mean, it was the same thing. So it was like. 
having, there was also somebody there, I think, pushing you and making you wake up in the morning. And then, you know, just my kids, like looking at them and saying, okay, do I just stay here and then figure it out five months later, six months later? Or do I go and create and make sure that, you know, set a tone? And, and I don't mean just like set a tone for them, but set a tone for the city, set a tone for, for the industry. And, you know, that, I think that's also what pushed me. So, yeah, you have to find this motivation inside of you that's going to then bleed out. Uh, and I was fortunate to be able to find that North Star at that moment. I love that. And then the other thing, I quote this from my dad all the time, but adversity is a terrible thing to waste. And one of the things that I think is super inspiring talking to you is, yeah, you stay in the ring and you might get knocked out. But you also need to focus on the other thing that can happen when you stay in the ring. And yeah, like you're, you guys, like this has been great for you and it's been great for Field Trip because the world has gotten to see like your true character in a way that perhaps they hadn't gotten to see before. Yeah, I think that, and I think that true character will help us, you know, Field Trip's not a singular unit, right? So that true character will help us and how we expand and who our partners will be. And, and what we do and, you know, who will want to work for us. There'll be a different type of person that wants to work for Field Trip now. And I mean, it's crazy to like see the people that email me or LinkedIn me that want to talk just to get to know who I am or say, hey, I read this about you or I see what you're doing or I ate your delicious food. Can we find time to chat? It's very inspiring. I want to talk to you in a moment about what you want to see in our industry in the future. But before we go forward, I want to go back because also in some of the conversations you and I have had over the last like three or four months, you've had to have grit for your entire career because it hasn't been the easy road. No, people think I've had the easy road, but it hasn't been. It hasn't been the easy road. And I think a lot of people forget that when someone's on top that they had to claw their way up. And so I just want to hear your story a little bit. And in those moments, because hearing your story, there's plenty of moments where I think it would have been easy to say, screw this, I'm yeah. over it. Mm -hmm. But you didn't. And so can you tell us that story? Yeah. Through my career, you know, I, I, I never worked with, never worked in like the, the greatest name places, but I worked for a lot of great people. Um, and the places that I worked always took me under their wing. I went to Culinary Suit of America. I uh, worked at Tribeca Grill. Uh, my first sous chef position was at uh, Jane uh, in the West Village. And I was actually talking to one of my managers the other night. I said, the first time I expedited at Jane, I got kicked off the line by the owner. He had to come <laughs> in because I couldn't get the food out the kitchen. And he told me you would never expedite again a day in your life. Um, and I thought he was going to fire me that night. But for some reason, he didn't fire me. And I had to figure out how to push through to earn respect back. Then. He believed in you or he was just super short stuff. <laughs> was about to kill me. He had to come in, probably comp so much food. But you know, you think, you think about like, oh, I'm here. I can do it. I'm watching somebody do it. This is easy. It's not. And you know, I, I, work, I went there. I, I helped them open the Smith. I worked at Central Vinoteca. Uh, Central Vinoteca was closing. And then I went to Morgan Stanley Executive Dining Room. And, and worked there for a little bit, went in a management training program at Morgan Stanley, which you very rarely see one of their cook, one of the chefs do. And, it, and in that moment, when I worked there, the operating company was Restaurant Associates, and I would always try to figure out how to move up within their company because they had so many opportunities. And 
I would never get called back within the company or I would say I wasn't prepared. They even put me in this dual management training program. I thought I would come out the management training program and get a chef job. I didn't. So I had to recreate, had to create, right? And I went on Rocco's dinner party. I won my episode. I got a call from a, or email from a gentleman, Alexander Smalls. And I just went with my gut, me and him met for breakfast and wind up cooking in Ghana together. And at that point, my career kind of went, but I could have, I could have went through two, two yellow brick roads in my life. I could have went down the yellow brick road and worked for the Tao group. Um, at Laurent Steakhouse as a sous chef making like $40,000 a year. Yes. Or I could have went to Ghana. And it was up to my mom, I would have went to Laurent Steakhouse. (laughs) Wait, why? Just because she didn't like it. It was a job. It's a legit company. You'll get health insurance. You'll have this. It's a great opportunity. Why would you go to Ghana? We don't know what's going to happen. You don't know this gentleman. You don't know Alexander like that. Who is he? Yes. And I went with my gut again. And I, I went with Alexander. We cooked in Ghana. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I found myself. And even when I came back in that process with Alexander, before I was even hired for the Cecil, it took a very long time. At one point, I don't even think, I think he wanted to go a different direction. He was interviewing all different chefs, but I was always in his ear. I was doing everything, cooking at his house, doing this, doing that, trying to make sure that I can land this opportunity to change my career. I never ran a kitchen before. All I had was executive sous chef, whatever that means. And he gave me, him and Parsons gave me this chance. And I poured in a lot of hours, uh, lost a lot of friends, almost lost my wife before she was my wife at that time. And in that time at Cecil, right before Cecil, I was locked up. I got beat up by the cops, uh, which was like a crazy experience. And we were talking about that yesterday. And my wife was like, I didn't want any bad boys in my life. I'm over that. Nobody went like trying to make a joke of it. And she, she stayed with me. And we just started dating at that time. I don't know why she stood with me or yeah. why she stayed, but it was this kind of like, again, that support, that kind of the, that support system. So that could have changed my career. Then the Cecil, they, they wanted to go a different direction. So I left. I but I mean, show. like, but I want to, I want to just understand because I mean, we've listened as a black chef in New York city, mm-hmm. it was harder to get the kind of opportunities that other people got more easily. And Oh yeah. I was applying to places all the time. I was staging, you know, I would get, I remember, <laughs> I remember in that time before I went on Rocco's dinner party, when I was trying to leave Morgan Stanley, I would do tastings. I would do all these interviews and then I would get no call back. And I would say, Hey chef, can I just ask you why? Cause I just want to be better. Can you tell me what I need? And I would hear excuses like, oh, you're in the private sector. You haven't worked enough in the public sector. I'm like, hold on, my whole resume is yeah. in the public sector. Or, uh, you know, I don't think you're just the right fit here. Okay, well, what does that mean? Do you have something else for me? You yeah. know? And I think that's why Ralph, who's the executive corporate chef for Tile Group, probably me, me and him are still friends because he respected my decision when I said, I can't take $40,000 a year. That's a joke. Yes. Right, like I make more money now at Morgan Stanley, and why would I take forty thousand dollars to do a lateral move in a kitchen that doesn't even reflect a place I want to work in? And even you know, not to go scattering as I talk to you about this, even when I travel the country and I do guest chef appearances in people's kitchens, I still get treated a certain way because I'm black. Right? There's always this tug and this pull. 
with chefs or their sous chefs, when we come in, when I come into their kitchen, it's like, hey man, I got invited to cook here. If I brought you into my kitchen, my whole staff would want open open arms. What's the issue? Why is there this tension? Like we just got here, <laughs> yeah. right? You tell me if to work here, or you told me to stay here. You know, it's your kitchen. I respect that. And it's like this undertone or underlining of, I hate using the word hatred, but you know, systemic or who you are supposed to be or how you're, what you're supposed to do, or you should be happy enough that you have this. It's like, well, listen, if I'm good enough for the position or I have more experience or my food tastes better, I should be able to have that opportunity. It shouldn't be about the color of my skin. And that's just what has happened in the industry in the past. And that's what I went through. You know, I went through that my whole career from when I was a line cook to rate from racial slurs to at points where I was like, I'm going to go to Seton Hall to get my, my bachelor's in business. And I thought I wouldn't cook anymore. So there's a lot of moments in my career where, you know, I got knocked down in that ring. I got back up and then I just said, Hey, this is the industry for me. I'm going to figure it out. And I've been very fortunate that I can live my dream, cook the food I, that I want to cook and employ people and have a voice. No, because, and I think it's, I mean, listen, like your story has inspired a ton of people, especially people of color who are like, hold on, there's a path. Like if you put your head down, you like work really, really, really hard. Yeah. But I also think, man, right now, I think a lot of people, everyone in our industry is questioning whether there's any way to get through this. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I think there's similar, what you just said, you're like, I realize that this is what I want to do. I think you have to, you, in this moment, you have to be able to listen to your employees. You might have your feet planted and this is who we are, but you might not be able to be that anymore. You might have to really re- figure out who you're going to be in the future. You might just say, no, this is what I want to do. And it might not work. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting time. It's like, I think it's amazing, man. Because it does take grit. You are where you are right now, pandemic aside, because you're like, no, I am going to be a chef. I'm going to have a restaurant. I don't care what any of you say. I'm going to make this happen. And you're willing to take risks and listen to your gut and do whatever it took. Yeah, and I think now, for me, it's, it's a little bit bigger than just like a singular restaurant, right? Like in the, in the beginning of field trip, I was like, okay, I can have 10 of these. Then, you know, we, I did the developer conference. People were calling like, okay, maybe I could do 25. Now I think I could do 250 field trips. You know, I think I can put one in every place around the country because it's a brand that speaks to working class people and people of all. And it allows me to help reshape an industry and employ people that might not be able to work in this industry anymore. And that's what's really big for me now is before it was like, I'm just trying to get this one. I'm just trying to be an owner of one. I just want to get here. Now I'm thinking of a very bigger picture, which for a lot of people sound crazy. I think even when I talked to my parents about it this past weekend, they were like, how many do you want? <laughs> Where are you getting that money from? You're like, oh, like, I want to be in a bigger boxing ring. Yeah. Right, so that's, that's a good segue. Like on a macro scale, what do you want our industry to look like? And, and what do you want your little pocket of our industry to represent? 
I think I want the industry to look like a very inclusive place, a place where people aren't abused because of their gender or what they look like. And it should be a safe space for all, our diners, our employees, our community. I really want the world to realize that restaurants are the center of your community you're in. I hear like in New York City that the crime rates are high. And it's like, well, look at how many boarded up restaurants there are, right? Those restaurants have people working there nonstop, cleaning sidewalks, trash. You know, those things make a place go, right? Those things make people not hang out on the street corners. Those things make people not become reckless, right? Because there's this constant flow of rejuvenation. The people are also unemployed. So I want to see the restaurant industry reshape the world. And I believe the restaurant industry can do that because we touch millions and millions of people. And for me, my pocket is just what I feel is, and I would say the reason why I want to expand at a really heavy level when I've done some really deep research on the fast casual area, there's only like one or two players in the game that are black that own multiples of fast casuals. Gold, Golden Crust is one, like a nationwide or a worldwide brand. And it's like, I have the potentially the opportunity to do that. And when you're able to do something like that, that changes, I think, the structure of a certain core, a core of an industry, right? How people eat, where a restaurant could be that looks like this, who you do business with. It also helps change the perception, right? So if I'm able to do business with a big developer and that big developer's never done business with a black restaurant owner, they go, oh, wow, I want to work with people like JJ. Yes. It helps the, the youth be able to do things. So I would say that, that that's my pocket and that, that's why the focus of expansion is, is really key for me because I get to potentially plug field trip in places that you would never see a black business owner be able to plug do business with people that would never look our way. And that helps carve out sectors or, or places for people that look like me uh, to have a chance. It's almost like an, an opportunity, but also a responsibility. Yeah. And I, I have no problem have, holding that responsibility on my back uh, or pulling, you know, the, pulling those rocks up the mountain <laughs> because I don't think anybody has done it in our industry. Nobody has taken that responsibility to be like, let me help. And I use an example, you know, uh, Greg from Olmstead read my Esquire piece and he texts me and said, hey, I know what I'm going to do now. And he, oh, he took his restaurant and flipped it over to be this incubator for black uh, owned business restaurants that are trying to find a space. And I recommended a guy that interned or apprenticed for me for years, Jared Howard, who I've been working with on this fried chicken concept for the last year. And Jared was super nervous. He was like, oh man, I don't really know if it's going to work. I was like, well, come to field trip, cook some of your food for frontline workers. Let's get some feedback. Let, let me taste it. It was actually really, really good. I was shocked how good it was. Like, I was like, oh, you're making me want to open a chicken concept. You're like, I didn't think you were a good chef. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, what what you've been doing? It's like, I've been at home, JJ, making biscuits and chicken every day. <laughs> but the sense of like being able to call Greg and say, hey, Greg, you know, we know each other. 
a little bit, but I respect you. You respect me in the industry. Can you take Jared on? He's like, yeah, no problem. I got you. And he really took Jared under his belt over these last uh, weeks and months. And Jared did phenomenal at his, in his pop-up space that Jared is getting calls of potentially being ghost kitchens, cloud kitchens. And I think that's what it's about, right? So that's a responsibility I, I have. Or even with like Nate Kuster, who was at Aquavie, who during the pandemic, he was a sous chef for me at Cecil uh, during the pandemic, his restaurant that he was a chef to cuisine and clothes. He would come and help us. And then he was like, hey, man, I got this opportunity to do Korean food in Flushing. And I made a joke with him. I said, when did you, you told me you weren't Korean enough to cook Korean food. When did you find that in your soul? And he said, well, I've been watching you cook your food for so long that I finally feel comfortable cooking Korean food. And he was adopted as a young kid and we've had these conversations. So I was able to support him to then open up this place in Flushing and it's, and it's doing amazing. He's cooking Korean food. It's delicious. So is this a, for me, that's the only way the industry gets better, right? Because when you have people like Jared and Nate out there, they're hiring the way that they've saw me hire. Yes. They're managing potentially the way they've seen me manage. And of course, how they've seen other chefs manage or other restaurateurs manage. But then it gets to trickle in the industry and we get to see this diverse Leia Lamb in New York City. Leia Lamb, I said Lamb. In New York City... That the way it should be, right? Because there's so much diversity here, and that's why we live in this city that we should see it. And then if we see it here, it will trickle all around the rest of the country. The same way that if we see indoor dining here work in a specific way, other chefs will adapt to that in other places, and New York will come back stronger than ever. I love that. I love that. Hey, when when I asked you to to do this podcast to talk about grit, I did not know about the tattoo on your arm. What did it say? Passion plus drive equals success. Where'd that come from? I think it was my time at the Cecil. I think when I won Best New Restaurant for the Cecil and Esquire Magazine, Josh Zersky wrote, uh, late Josh Zersky. And I was like, man, how did I get this? And I was like, my passion, my drive equals success. And 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 I take that along with me while I have it like on the lower part of my forearm here is I look at that every day and say, if we have passion, uh, if I have drive, then there's no reason why, why I can't be successful. Uh, and I think that's what happened in, during the pandemic of COVID. We, I had this passion to keep this place. I had this passion to keep it open, and I also had the drive to keep it open. Yes. And that's why there's some, some uh, success in it. Uh, but, yeah, I live, in, I live and die by that. I should put, and I should also put, in, I wish I could add, I would say, and make sure your food is delicious because. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, listen, plenty of people have the passion. Not everyone has the drive. Because for me, the drive is on the days where you're completely exhausted. There's something that just gets you to keep pushing, to stay in the ring. I was talking to my friend Simon Sinek the other day and we were talking about the word lucky and so many people, they get super successful and they're like, I've been so lucky. And it's not actually a responsible thing. Lucky if you win the lotto. Yeah. Luck (laughs) is if you win the lotto. Granted, like luck is a thing. Some people are fortunate that things happened in a way that made things, you know, work out in a way that they otherwise might not have. But you don't become successful. You never get to the top without working 
your ass off without a ton of drive. And um, I think it's almost irresponsible when people just say I've been super lucky because then it makes people think that the only thing that gets you to the top is if you luck out. And that takes away the, the responsibility to push. Again, for me, luck is if I scratch that lotto ticket and I hit a thousand a week for life. You know, I, there was a kid in culinary school that hit it in the gas station. That's luck. You know, that's not, there's no passion or drive to that. Well, if winning a lottery ticket is what makes you lucky, I am not a lucky man. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have a lot of people from hospitality listening right now. And we're talking about grit because it's super, super important right now. But listen, the welcome conference has always been a day when we're doing it in person where people came to get their gas tanks filled, where people just left inspired and people need inspiration so that they can be motivated to continue persevering. What do you want them to hear from you on that? What's your, what's JJ's daily dose of inspiration right now? Wow. That's one of those questions that I'm supposed to probably tell you in advance. Ask. You know, you, if you're in this industry, you're in the industry for a reason and you have a purpose. And if you haven't found your purpose yet, it's okay. And if you have found your purpose, you need to find out if you are making sure you are fulfilling your purpose, right? And if the pandemic has stopped you from fulfilling your purpose, then you need to go back and reflect and say, is this my purpose still? Or do I have a new purpose in this industry? And that's what's going to help you get through this uh, with your old restaurants, with your new restaurants, with your food products, with whatever you're doing here, with your staff. Just find your purpose and, and really adapt it and push through. Because don't let anybody tell you we are the hardest working industry. We build communities. We look out for people. And we will be back stronger than ever, just in a little different way. Yeah, dude, I love that. I was talking to someone recently, and a lot of there's a lot of restaurant people who are questioning whether they still want to be restaurant people. And this guy had this advice, and I've and I've taken it, which is to ask not only yourself but the people around you, why did you decide to do this in the first place? And if you still resonate with all of the answers to that question, then stay in the ring. That's it. That's a good one. You got to ask. Yeah. And then other people are like, wait, the answer to that question. Wait, that, I don't connect with that anymore. That's like, all right, go, go do something else. <laughs> hey man, I'm appreciative of your time and I'm thankful for the role that you've been playing in our industry because I said this early on, there are some people that in these moments of adversity, when there's no more playbook in front of them, have just kind of sat out on the bench. And then there's the people that have stayed in and continued to fight and taught us all why we should be getting in there and fighting. And I think you're one of those people. And so thank you. Thank you. And I hope I get to see you soon, hopefully <laughs> over a plate of that fried chicken. <laughs> Hey, to everyone at home, JJ told me at the beginning of this, my dog is in the room. He might bark at some point. And he made it the entire podcast until the last moment. So you know what? I'm happy he got involved. (laughs) Hey, man, I'll talk to you soon. It's always good talking to you. All right. Take care, man. Thank you. So there you go. 
I mean, for me, the takeaways from that conversation, okay, grit, it means staying in the ring. Even when it feels super hard and you feel like you might get knocked down, grit just means staying in the ring and continuing to fight. That's one. But two, you can't stay in the ring unless you have tapped into the thing that motivates you to do it because staying in isn't easy. And so whatever that is for you, find the inspiration, find the thing that helps you get up, find the thing that helps you continue to fight. And then three, yeah, if you do stay in the ring, you might get knocked out, but you also might win. And staying in can provide opportunities that you might otherwise never have. Looking forward to talking to you next week here at Weekly Specials. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to the incredibly generous sponsors who give us the resources to not only create this content, but to deliver it to you. Perhaps the greatest gift is that they've given us the opportunity to connect with you here, even during a season when we're unable to connect with you in person. Those are our friends and partners at American Express, at Resi, and at Sam Pellegrino. We appreciate you all so much. That catchy music you hear, that's by our friend Aaron Raytier. He's amazing. Check him out. And to the team at the Welcome Conference, who's been working so hard this year. Obviously, Anthony Rudolph and Brian Canlis, you see alongside me on stage. But then Aaron Ginsberg, who's been running the show with a ton of support by Sandra DiCapua. There's a lot to be thankful for, even during a time that feels so challenging. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And if you want to check up on us and see what we're up to, go to welcomeconference.org. It's the weekly special. You do, 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 do. Weekly special. Weekly special. The weekly special.